right, on your way to Matthew chapter 6, please. Matthew chapter 6. Am I turned on finally? Hello, testing. All right, Matthew chapter 6. As we're considering our verse-by-verse study of the book of Matthew, um, This morning is a serious, serious sermon. I don't mean serious because any other part of the Word of God is, uh, is not serious. But if there's one piece of Scripture that has an overarching belief in Christianity, it's this one. Um, and we are particular here at Bethel to make sure we teach what the Bible says. Not what culture, not what man's wisdom, not what other religions. Um, If the Bible says it, that's what we base it on. Now, we are going to delve into a passage of Scripture that has formulated thousands of years. Okay. I could call it thousands of years. At least multiple hundreds of years of church doctrine. And uh, what we will talk about this morning is contrary to what a lot of churches hold to. Okay? So if I haven't piqued your interest already, I hope I uh, have. I'm not doing it for that purpose, but I'm asking for just the opposite. I'm asking for seriousness and sobriety. I'm asking for God to give me the words to say uh, because I do not want to uh, cast any dispersions on another church i don't want to throw years of tradition under a bus i don't want to rub anybody here the wrong way if you've had different thoughts about this passage of scripture and what we're going to look at my goal 100 percent is always to talk about what god has taught us without a lot of extra baggage Okay, because down through the years, one of the things we are very good at, and if you are not seeing it right now in our culture, in the news, in politics, and in churches, uh, people like to adjust the teachings of God's Word to their own personal thoughts, to what people think, to what the uh, attitude of the culture is, and we are not going to do that, because God's Word is absolute, it is the authority, it is infallible, and... uh, he left it for a reason for us to understand. Now, if you pre-read this passage, uh, you may know what we're about to talk about. If you are familiar with Matthew chapter 6, right in the middle, uh, you are also know what we're about to talk about. Um, but uh, I'm not going to read ahead of time because I want us to get there when we get there. But I would like to have a word of prayer. Father, I call upon you today, Lord, for guidance. Um, Lord, the goal is never, ever to cause anyone struggles in their personal thinking. Lord, we are always looking to find out what your word has taught us. And Lord, so we're just uh, wanting to be careful. And Lord, as we've been looking at this Sermon on the Mount from Jesus' words, Lord, so many of the religious leaders at that point had gotten so many things messed up. I mean, he was correcting them over and over and over because they were going by the letter of the law, specific 
boxes to check off, but were not having the heart, the spirit of it. They were not changing from the inside out. They were not realizing the honest representation of what these commandments were all about. And so Father Jesus was giving some instruction that was contrary to what a lot of the religion held. And Lord, it, doesn't cha- it hasn't changed. It's still here. Jesus is going to give instructions about a very common thing that happens right now in thousands of places across this world on a Sunday. And Father, I pray that you would be with my mind, help it to be clear in the words that I have to say. But Lord, more than that, it's not my words that are important. It is your word that is important. So Lord, help me to stand out of the way and let your word do the speaking for us. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we are into the passage, as the slide will say, that we are talking about, do it. Do it for God. We talked about Jesus starting this passage out saying, uh, listen, if you're going to do anything, don't do it for man's purpose. Now, I had such a struggle here with not putting just do it. You know, the Nike theme up there. But uh, we looked at last week, what you do, dot, 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 do it for God, and maybe next week we'll be dot, 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 not for man. Because that's Jesus' theme here in chapter 6. Now keep going, just by way of review. In all of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was dedicated to understanding the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Okay, thou shalt not kill. Well, I don't, I've never ended anybody's life. And Jesus went ahead and really developed that out and said, listen, if you hate somebody, if you consider yourself better than somebody, if you look down your nose at somebody with an attitude, you're violating this passage of Scripture. Okay, not just the letter of the law, but what does God want us to change on the inside? He talked about adultery. And there were Pharisees and religious leaders that were saying, well, we've never had sexual relations with anybody else but our wives. And Jesus says, wait a second, if you're lusting after another woman, as a matter of fact, if you have uncontrolled lust in your life that you're not reigning in, you violated that passage of scripture. Don't just tell me I've never touched another, you know, opposite of my spouse. Aren't I great? Jesus says, no, it's not about that. It's about a change on the inside. He said, if you're going to be one of my kingdom members, you ought to reflect the spirit of the law, not just the letter. And we went through those, okay? And so Jesus was saying it's not about conforming to external standards. And I'd like to say there's a lot of churches full of those folks today, but maybe this church has a couple of them. Maybe it was me this morning. Because there's sometimes I come to church and I'm not really in the mood to come to church. I'm putting on a nice churchy face putting on the beautiful churchy clothes. But am I really coming here because it's the attitude of my heart and I want to be here to worship God? Or am I going, I better be there. I'm going to lose brownie points with God. Pastor's going to get all over my case. Other people are going to call me and say, where you been? Anybody else ever do that? Don't raise your hand. Or we come in here because we know this is where God wants us. I love you, God. You want me to be in the midst of your people because it's beneficial for me and for them. Okay, It's a heart attitude, not just check a box. I sat in my pew from 9.30 to 12. God says, no. 
You do it because you want to, right? So he's just, it's not conforming, forcing ourselves into some sort of religious activity. It's transforming from your mind, your heart. You do it because you want to. That's last chapter, okay? This one, we're getting into, next slide. God is more, in, oh, I'll give you a phrase. I hope you've memorized this by now, right? God is more interested in you being who he wants you to be than doing what he wants you to do. How many are you working on that, memorizing it? Right, nobody's leaving until it's memorized today. Right? I'm going to stand at the back door. No, it's not about us just doing some religious activity. God wants us to be his child. There's a total difference. He's more interested in us in being what he wants us to be than doing what he wants us to do. All right, next slide. Or next part. So Jesus' teaching in this passage in chapter 6 now is if you're going to do something, so he's more interested in us being who he wants us to be. That was chapter 5. But if you are going to do something, make sure you're doing it for God and not for man's glory. Okay, that's what this whole chapter, or the beginning of this chapter 6 is. Jesus is saying, okay, now you want to do something for me, make sure you're doing it with the motives that it's for me and for nobody else. Okay, and we talked at alms last week, right? That people were doing alms so everybody can see them. They were ringing a big bell going, look at all the things we're giving to the poor. Don't let me break my arm patting my own self on the back. Okay, keep going. So the three illustrations that Jesus uses here, alms, we looked at that last week, which was giving to the poor. It was a Jewish activity that God promised the Jewish physical blessings. They were supposed to be the people that God showered abundance on in this earth. And God says, you know how to reflect who I am? You take those blessings and give those to others. Okay, a little different. Won't re-preach last week. But as the church, what he has showered upon us is his grace what are we supposed to take to this whole world and share? Not necessarily our pocketbook, but the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Okay, so today we're going to look at prayer. And then next week we're looking at fasting. Okay, the three examples. Keep going. So notice the phrase in all three of these. I said this last week. We'll look at it again, and you can look up these verses later if you want. In all three cases, alms, prayers, and fasting, he says, for they have their reward. So Jesus says, listen, if you want to stand up in the streets and give alms, if you want to stand up in the streets and pray, if you want to stand up in the streets and fast and show how, how desperately religious you are, Jesus says, you have your reward. But he also says, in regards to all three passages, the Father seeth in secret and will reward thee openly. He says, if you do these things unto the Lord... And not for the praise of man. If you get the praise of man, that's all you got. But if you do it in secret for me, I'll reward you. And I'm telling you, it might be nice once in a while to get a, a one of my uh, Dan contractor I used to work with. I'd, I'd walk up and say, well, I finished hanging them kitchen cabinets. And he'd say, do you need an attaboy? I was ready to punch him every time. I'm like, no, I'm just letting you know what I did. Attaboy. Right? I'm like, no, I don't need an attaboy. But there's a lot of religious people who do things for the purpose of an attaboy. And God says, if that's what you're looking for, you'll get it. But don't expect much more. 
But if you do it in secret, if you do it for me and not worried about what others think, I'll take care of your reward. I'd much rather get God's reward than an attaboy. Amen? So we don't work for earthly reward, but for God. He will give to us what he sees fit. Now, here we go. All right. So, next slide. Okay, prayer. This is not by any way an extensive study on prayer. Uh, We would be here for weeks. The Old Testament is full of prayer. The Old Testament prophets and saints prayed. Paul prayed. Jesus prayed. There are so many examples of prayer, so much instructions on prayer that we're not going to cover that today. What we are going to cover today is probably the most famous prayer when it comes to Christianity. And Jesus gives us a few pointers on that. But to start with, he gives us instructions about prayer. So he says, listen, if you're in it to show off, I'm going to get your reward. But give me, let me give you a couple instructions about it. So let's look here in verse 9 and uh, look at a few verses. After this manner, therefore pray ye. Oh, excuse me. I wanted to go uh, verse 6 first. But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut the door, pray to the Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, secret, shall reward thee openly. So he's giving instruction. Verse 5, he said, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be like the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a few instructions. You don't want to be like these hypocrites who are just doing it because they, notice it, it says they love to pray out where people see them. Okay, get up and put on a big show. Also, and again, not necessarily prayer instructions, but you know what's funny? You guys know me pretty well by now. The way I discuss things, the way I talk, the way my personality is, what cracks me up is when someone will get in the pulpit, this is who they are, and all of a sudden they'll start to pray. Thou Father, who'd artist in the heavens. It's like, you putting on a show? Because God says, be careful. Those who love to be heard in their prayers... You're going to get that little bit of pat on the back. So God gives us a few pointers. He says, number one, um, you can go to the next slide. Uh, When thou prayest, enter into your closet. Now again, (laughs) this doesn't mean you have to move your 25 pairs of shoes, ladies. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. Doesn't mean this is a place for clothing. Okay. A closet. In those days, if you take this word and break it down, I did it in a couple of verses just to give us some pointers. It just means a private place, somewhere away from other people, okay? You shut the door, go into an inner room. You want an example of this? Go on, next slide. Jesus uses it, I mean, the Bible uses this two other times. Wherefore, if they, uh, if they shall say unto you, behold, He is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in a secret chamber. That's that same word as closet. Okay, it just means someplace away from others. In um, Luke, it says, uh, neither they have a storehouse. It meant someplace where you put things 
Okay, if you were here in Sunday school this morning, we talked about that keeping that precious thing. Okay, where do you keep something that's special? Okay, some of us have valuables and we have it in a, not laying on the dining room table, right? It's tucked away someplace where it's private, it's secret, it's away from normal everyday life. That's, that's what he's saying. Now, there are those who will, you know, you need to have a prayer closet. There was just a movie released a couple of years ago about making a special closet for your prayer time and, uh, you know, how this could be a sacred place. Listen, you can pray in your car. I pray on the lawnmower. Uh, you know, you can pray anywhere. But the object is, why are you doing what you are doing? Have a place where you can meet with God and you don't have to be going, <clears throat> pardon me, Father, because you want everybody to see you. You get the imagery that Jesus is talking about? Now again, I want to make sure, I prayed starting this, that this is not my words. You're seeing this directly with me in the scripture. Jesus says, don't be as the hypocrites because they love to stand up in the synagogue and pray. They like people to watch them be holy. I'll put that in air quotes. Holy. Okay, Jesus says, listen, go to a private place and spend some time with the Lord. Why? We'll keep going. He gives us more instruction. This does not mean that nobody should ever hear you pray. Now, we just did this, right, last week when he said, don't give alms for people to watch you. That doesn't mean if, any, if you gave a dollar, $10, $20, $100, you know, $1,000, I'm poor. I mean, uh, if you give that money to the poor, that if somebody sees you do it, it wrecks it. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. What's the motive? That doesn't mean that if you're sitting at your dinner table and you pray for your food. That doesn't mean when we open the service, we don't pray to the Lord. It doesn't mean we don't meet downstairs at 9 o'clock before Sunday morning and pray that God would bless this day as we get together. There's nothing wrong with people seeing that. It's the motive on why. Okay, it's a heart attitude. So you can pray and you're in the hospital. We're praying for loved ones who are sick, things like that. It doesn't cancel it out. Oh my word, somebody, I wasn't in my secret closet. Because the Lord also tells us to pray without ceasing, right? That we can pray anytime, anywhere. But the motive of our hearts, remember, it's not the letter of the law. I can't do this unless I'm in my secret closet. No, you're checking off a box. He's saying, what's the spirit? What are you doing this for? Is it from the inside? Because you know you need to meet with God. If that's the case, you can do it anywhere, anytime. But what's great about a set-aside place is because it removes you from distractions. Because I don't know about you, I got distractions. Okay, Half of them are in my own brain. You, am I the only one who gets down to pray and you're like, Father, thank you for this day. I just pray you be with such, you know, so-and-so. Oh, I wonder if they picked up that thing they were supposed to pick up. That was Tuesday. What was I doing on Tuesday? Isn't it easy to get dragged off? So God says, listen, do it in a private place, a secret place, a place that's just you and me. Because that's what this is all about, meeting with God. And we'll see that up here in a minute. Okay. Um, we pray for one purpose, to meet with God. Now, I want you to this, not to impress God. Okay? That's the other thing I have a problem with. People put the, uh, put the holier-than-thou prayer language together. Right Now, prayer is meeting with God, just communicating with somebody that you are in a personal relationship with. 
So I want you to know what happened this morning. I walked into my kitchen, and my wife was standing there. And I said, O thou woman of the house, who preparest the wonderful breakfast of this, which thou bestowest upon thy spouse, the scrambled egg. Now, I know that sounds silly, but is that how we talk to people who are close to us in our lives? No, we're not doing this to impress God. The reason we pray is because we need to talk to him, period. If I'm in a place where I need to get a hold of my wife because I'm desperate for her advice, her love, her care, her beautiful face, Aw. Okay. I'm not going up to her with this pump. I just want to talk to her. Look at what verse 7 and 8 says. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their much speaking. But be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what ye, uh, things ye need of before you ask him. We're not going to God because he needs to be informed. We're not going to God because we're going to impress him. Because if we say enough stuff, he'll think, whoa, you're spiritual this morning. Boy, I got you back. No, we go because we need to talk to him. Because we need to be in a daily active relationship with our God. That's why we're praying. So Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who are doing it all for show. One of my faults, I will tell you, and it's hard when you're preaching and things like that. One of my faults is... Uh, wanting to pray instructions while we're praying, right? Father, thank you so much for the sermon we heard today. Help us all to apply that sermon. And for those of you who are not interested in applying that sermon, shame on you. Uh, Who am I talking to? Am I talking to the Lord or am I talking to, you know, uh, we're in a reverent moment of prayer. Now I can get my shots in at everybody and nobody can say anything because it's prayer. Yeah, really. At the dinner table. Oh, Father, thank you for this food. I pray you would be with my disobedient children and help them to clean up their room. And and we get to start preaching at other people. Now, there's nothing wrong with communicating with God. There's nothing wrong with being honest and having a communication as long as you're doing it. You can pray that kind of prayer. Just who are you talking to? If there was nobody else in the room, would you be praying the same way? Because you're talking to God. Our job is to meet with him. 20 people, one person, nobody else. Keep going. He says, do not play vain, uh, pray re- vain repetitions. And I warned ahead of time, this is where we are going to stop and probably step on hundreds of years of church tradition. Because the prayer that our Lord Jesus is about to example to us has been taken out of place and misused for quite a few centuries. That if you pray this prayer over and over and over and over, somehow God is going to be impressed with your much speaking. Now again, there are times we go verse by verse through the Bible and I'm like, Lord, I'd like to skip over this passage. Because there may be some of us here 
who were taught this. Maybe some of our relatives still do this. This is maybe still a question mark in our lives. God is not impressed with us taking a single written out prayer and continuously repeating it to his ears. Okay? There are several denominations who focus on this. That if you go ahead and need something from God, if you pray 20 of them, that's great. If you pay 30, that's even better. If you can get up to 50, man, you're okay with God now. And it says, they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. God is not impressed with how many words you can say. He's impressed if you are meeting with him for real. Let me give you a more pertinent example in my own brain. Now, this is my own thought, but it kind of helps me understand this. I tell the children, after church, we're going to McDonald's, right? Because we eat health food. Um, so all my children, as soon as the preacher says amen, all three of them run up, when are we going to McDonald's? Okay? I told you after, let's well, after church, we're going to McDonald's. Okay, we're getting our coats on, gathering up our Bibles. We're going to McDonald's. We get to the house. When are we going to McDonald's? Okay, we're in the car. We're going to McDonald's. Okay, well, we got to stop at the gas station first. Then McDonald's. Okay, well, we got to pick up something at the grocery store. We're going to McDonald's. And by the time you get to the end of it, you're like, we're not going to McDonald's. <laughs> Why? Because I said we would, but you keep bugging me so much about it. You think I'm impressed by just you keep reminding me over and over and over? But unfortunately, that's how people have handled prayer. That if they continually say a specific set of words in a certain order, that God is so impressed because you continue to speak. Listen, if there's one thing I can do is talk. God, is, I have not kissed the Blarney Stone, Lord forbid, if I did. Because, man, if I can't talk now, who can? But God is not impressed because I can fill the air with sound. But unfortunately, there have been hundreds of years of human teaching that has been put into this scripture that have twisted this. And what's crazy to me is God says, don't use vain repetitions. And then two verses later, there's a prayer which hundreds of thousands of people vainly repeat over and over and over. You couldn't get any closer in proximity to a verse that says, don't pray over and over the same words as this is. Yet one of the biggest problems is they pray the same phrase over and over and over and over. God says, don't do it. All right? Now, I'm going to give, hopefully as clear as I can, from God's word, what he has to say about this. So let's keep going. There's nothing wrong with playing passages of scripture. We talk about this all the time. If you have a psalm or something like that, and you want to pray that back to God, we recommend that. But why are you doing it? Are you doing it because what that verse said is something that's personal to you and you need God to help you and get in, you're, you're reaching out to God and saying, Lord, you said you, should, you would supply all my need according to your grace in Christ Jesus. I'm, Lord, I'm, I'm just reminding you what that verse says because I need help. Nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to go bah, 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 and just repeat that over and over and over because God needs to hear it, because God, I think, forgot his own Bible, and we're going to remind him, it's a heart attitude. Remember, it's not checking a box. It's from the inside out, all right? Keep going. That being said, 
So many people use this prayer like a magic wand or a lucky rabbit's foot. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As long as I keep doing it, good things are going to happen. That's not what God's word teaches. Okay? And again, I prayed starting this off. I set the tone starting this off. My job here, my purpose is not to step on anybody's toes or to throw any other religions under the, under the bus. It is to focus on what God's word tells us. Okay? If they pray it, good things will happen. Matter of fact, there are certain churches will assign you prayers. We'll go do 20 of the Our Fathers. And that'll help you out. According to who? Look, we'll keep going. But, are they really meeting with God? When are we going to McDonald's? When are we going to McDonald's? When are we going to McDonald's? Thanks. I'm your father. I'm the one who's going to be spending money at McDonald's. Do you care anything about me? No, I just want my McDonald's. Are they really concerned about me as their father? Nope. All they're doing is rubbing off something, hoping they're going to get the blessings that they're looking for out of it. It has nothing to do with meeting with God. It has to do with, what do I get? But, we who are not in one of those religious groups, be careful. Warning. Many Christians can pray a prayer list exactly the same way. I've got a prayer list. I made it last week, and I'm praying it every day, word for word. Word for word. And we'll have times where we're in, and we've learned we're helping one another to grow in this area, where we have a prayer list, and somebody will say to me as I'm looking through it or reading down it or whatever, oh, you forgot uh, Sister So-and-So's uh, bunion. It's like, no, I didn't forget. We don't need to list every single one every single time we pray. Because, again, why are we going to God? To meet with him or just to remind him of all the things we need? Didn't we just read a verse that says God knoweth exactly what we need before we ask? So let me ask you a question. Honestly, do we make a prayer list because God needs to be reminded what the prayers are? Or do we make a prayer list because we need to remind ourselves what we should be sensitive in thinking about? When we put Diane on the prayer list because she was hurting for a little while, I'm not going, God, don't forget about Diane. I know you're really busy. No, I go in my mind... Ooh, maybe I should reach out to Diane this week because she's hurting. Maybe she needs something. Maybe I can be a part of what God wants to do with her. It's not about God. He already knows. He's got the answer. It's about me getting in touch with God. Okay, And we're going to break this down a little bit more. There's more to it. If God wants me to be a part of it, shouldn't I be asking him, Lord, what's my part? Don't we say, thy will be done? keep going all right so every day reading the same prayer list to god instead of really meeting with him too often prayer time becomes just dictating a shopping list to the lord how good would my relationship with my spouse be if every time i decided to talk to her i brought out a list and told her the things i want from her (laughs) <laughs> good morning dear 
would you give me this? Would you give me that? Would you do this? Make sure to do that. And you know, the honeydew list. You know, as a matter of fact, I heard a joke the other day. Not really a joke. It's kind of a real reality of the world we live in. Fellas, how many of you get a honeydew list? Nobody has the guts to put their hands up. I love it. Guys, would we ever write a honeydew list and give it to our wives? Yeah, all right, Oscar. You come to my house, I've got sticky notes on the... boy. Knew I liked that, man. It's got a spine of steel. It better be after the frying pan hits him. Oh, I'm sorry. Right? That's not real communication, just living, giving each other lists of things we ought to do and what we expect. But that's why, how we approach our God. So as much as we say, Lord, uh, you know, I won't dare use vain repetitions with you. Mm, careful. Because sometimes we do. And Lord, we forgot to t- pray, you know, for Doc. You know, for many of us, he's on our prayers all the time. I don't have to keep putting him on every list. Yeah, he's not with us. We miss him. But oh, you, Doc's not on the list you just wrote out. God knows. He's got it figured out. My job is to say, Father, what's my part? I'm meeting with you today, Lord, to get close to you so you can tell me what you expect from me. How much can I play a part in all these things? You with me? This is not about reminding God where he's fallen short. Lord, are you on top of this or what? How dare us. Right? Okay, keep going. Your Father knoweth. It says, we don't need to keep telling God or keep him informed. We pray to line ourselves up with his will. Lord, this thing is happening. Don't know why it's happening. Not particularly fond of the idea that it's happening. But now that it's happening, Father, what do you want from me? How am I going to put a, play a part? You know how many times Paul writes prayers and instructions from prison? Not high on my list of uh, resume-boosting activities. And he doesn't pray, Father, get me out of jail. He prays, Father, strengthen me. Help me to, give, help me to be an influence. You know, he, he prays prayers that are honest. He's not even saying, I'm chained to this wall next to this guy. We stink. We haven't had a bath. It's nasty. You don't hear any of that. He says, Father, this is the situation I'm in. What is your will? We don't go to change God's mind. We go to change ours. That's why we're there, to meet with God. All right? Prayer is designed to change you. Keep going. Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, because he cares for you. We can give him every one of our requests, every one of our worries, everything that we care about, but we do it because we humble ourselves before God. Father, I'm here. I don't know. I'm not worth anything, honestly, Lord. But you've brought this situation to me, and I'm just casting it all in your hands because I know you'll take care of it. What part can I play? Humble yourself before God. All right, keep going. So we look at the model prayer. Many call it the Lord's Prayer. Now, I would recommend, or I would nudge us in the direction, not only is it not supposed to be prayed uh, 
repetitively, it was not even designed for us to pray it word for word. Let me say that again. Not only is it not supposed to be uh, prayed repetitively, like don't use vain repetitions, it wasn't even designed to be prayed word for word. How many, and I was looking up, we even have a song in our hymn book that is word for word, the Lord's Prayer. Not a problem, because we just said there's nothing wrong with praying Scripture back to God, word for word. But that's not the design of this prayer, okay? One of the first things that reminds us of this is when you get to verse 9, it says, after this manner. Okay? After this manner. That is a single Greek word, and that single Greek word is tied to the same words that we look up in these verses, that is the word so. So go back with me, if you would. I just want to show us what, how God is using this word. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 5, we're just going back a page maybe in your Bible. Verses 15 and 16. Listen to how this is laid out. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick to give light unto all the house, that, uh, the, all that are in the house. Let your light, light in this manner shine before men. Okay, when it says let your light shine before men, so shine before men, he doesn't mean you, as, you and I as Christians need to walk around with a candle on a candlestick. Are you with me? Please stay with me. This is so important to this teaching that we're looking at right now. When Jesus says, let your light so shine before men, the example he gave is men should put a candle on a candlestick. Well, if we're going to take that word so exactly, that means God wants us all to walk around with a candle on a candlestick. That would be taking it literally. He says, no, in this manner, let your light shine before men. When we look to this passage, he says, I want you to pray after this manner. He's not saying these exact words. He says, I want you to pray with this example as your guideline. Okay? You keep going. Look at the next one. Uh, verse 17 through 19. Think that not, not that I had come to destroy the law of the prophets. I'm not to come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, nor jot nor tittle, no wise shall pass from the law. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these commandments and, so, and teach men so, he shall be called. He says, if you break one of these commandments and teach people in the same manner. Okay, it's not saying you break the exact same commandment. He's saying, if people go ahead and keep breaking these commandments and teach others with that same idea, so God's using the same word again in the same manner. He's not saying if you only break that exact same commandment that that person broke. It's not literally the exact same thing. So when Jesus is talking about this Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, he is not saying, I want you to pray these exact words. He's saying, I want you to pray after this idea, this outline, this manner. Look, if you would, uh, again, to 6 right here, a couple of verses after what we're looking at today. Look at 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman, oh, that's chapter 5. Verse 28, sorry. And I uh, take no thought for raiment. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and toil not, neither do they spin. 
And I say unto you that not even uh, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so in that manner clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? If you take that word to be exact, if after this exact manner, that means God is going to clothe you like a lily. Now, I don't know about you, I am not walking around with a bunch of petals strapped to my body. You get it? This is not exactly, he's not saying just exactly the way Jesus clothed, God clothed the lilies, he's exactly going to clothe you the same way. That's the same word he uses. He says, after this manner, meaning not exactly the way I'm praying this prayer, but in the same manner that this prayer is laid out. You with me so far? Now, is there anything wrong with saying the Our Father? Absolutely not. But did God design it to be said word for word? No. He designed it to give us the outline of a proper prayer structure. You with me? So I, I want you to see this. I want to make sure you understand. I'm not making this up. This is God using this same word, and that's how we define Scripture. We don't go to Webster's. We don't go to Wikipedia. We don't go to Encyclopedia Britannica. We let God's word teach what God's word means. And when he hears words that means, this is why we don't listen to me. We listen to the word, because I can't even put my... When God uses the same word over and over to say, in this kind of outline, in this kind of way, is the way I want you to pray. It's the way I'm going to do, uh, Solomon was dressed, not in petals from a flower. Okay, look one more verse. Well, two more. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye do to men, men do unto you, do ye even so unto them? Well, this is the law. This is one of the reasons we get the uh, golden rule, right? Okay? Wherefore, all things whatsoever ye would that do, men should do unto you, if you want people to do it to you, then do ye even so to them. So does that mean if I want them to give $1,000 to me, I go give them $1,000? No, we're not talking about exact for exact. If you want people to treat you well, you treat them well. That word so, same thing, is not used as an exact comparison. It's talking about in this way. So when Jesus is praying, he says, I want you to pray in this way. Not these exact words. Last verse here. For Jonah, whew, for as Jonah was in the three days and nights in the belly of the whale's belly, so, same word, Shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth? He's going to be swallowed by a fish then, right? If you take it exactly, right? Jesus said, uh, listen, the uh, same way that Jonah was swallowed by a fish, so in that manner, the Son of Man will also be. That means you believe Jesus was swallowed by a fish. You get the idea? This is, I can keep going. I just picked a few that I wanted us to see. So when Jesus is saying, pray after this manner, he's not saying you need to pray these exact words. He's saying, I'm giving you a layout of a proper prayer. And you structure your prayer this way, and God will be pleased.
Okay, you with me? So when people are praying this one over and over repetitively, that's wrong. But when people are focused 100% on only, only praying this in these exact words, are we going to McDonald's? Are we going to McDonald's? Uh, is God really impressed? Because he never designed it to be said word for word. Okay, keep going. Now, I know, I can see it still in some of your faces like, Oh, you know how many people I know who do this? Yep. You know, remember when we started this Sermon on the Mount? I said it is one of the most misused passages of Scripture in Christianity because people have taken it and added all kinds of extra baggage and man's ideas to it and morphed it into something it's not supposed to be. Keep going. So, it's a basic prayer outline. So let's just go through the outline. What does God want? Number one, our Father. And man, we're about to talk about this in a minute when we do the Lord's Supper. First thing, it is based on a relationship with God. And I can spend a whole lot of time preaching just this part. I'm not going to. But if you are not in relationship with God through Jesus Christ our Savior, you can't. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't reach out to our Father unless he's your Father. And we talked about that. Jesus spoke to those religious leaders and said, you're of your Father, the devil. The first part of this prayer is you better be one of God's kids. And people out in this world say, oh, we're all God's children. No, we're all God's creation, but we are not all God's children. Okay, that comes only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, number two, our Father, which art in heaven. Okay, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but that's talking about his lordship. You are on the throne of the entire universe. Okay, so number one, we have that relationship. Number two, we're recognizing him for who he is. He's the boss. I'm nothing. Humble yourselves before God. Okay, number three, adoration and pray. Hallowed be thy name. How many times have we stepped back, Dan, myself, at different times and talked about the number of the names of God there are? There's like 38 of them or something like that. Yeah, that doesn't just mean the word G-O-D. There's Jehovah, there's Yahweh, there's Jehovah Desin, Jehovah Sidkenu. Okay, we can keep going. There's a reverence to whom God is. So here's the thing. I, not yet in this prayer have I listed anything I need. Right? I recognize God. Lord, you're my father. I love you. You're in charge of everything, and you know you deserve all the worship and praise and glory I can give you. Nothing about me yet. I'm not making a low. And remember, the cars broke down, and uh, uh, the, this bill's come. Not yet. Keep going. Psalms. We talk about this adoration and praise. Why? One of the reasons I wanted to sing the songs we sang this morning in church about Thou art worthy about to God be the glory is because he inhabits the praises of his people. You know, God says, you know, where two or more are gathered, I'm in the midst. But he says, if you're praising me, there's something special that goes on. God says he inhabits those praises. He's here, but I'll tell you what, he loves it when God's people lift up praises to his name. And it's not just songs. Anytime we give him glory, 
All right, and this verse here in Psalms. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. I know this world stinks. I know it's tough. I know life is more fun every day, especially when a few years keep ticking by. Right? Faith and I had this conversation this morning. Isn't it great to be old? Okay. I was listening, so a husband came home and told his wife, hey, I went to the doctor, and the doctor, he told me what I've got. She said, what is it? He says, you've got OLD. She said, what's OLD? OLD, old. You got old. Okay. You know what's great? When we can get together amidst everything in this world and still give God praise and glory and worship for what he deserves. Because it's not about our circumstances, about who he is. When you meet with him and say, Father, you are everything. Hallowed be your name. Set him in the place that he belongs first. Then we can keep going. And say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I don't know about you. In heaven, when God says something... What happens? It happens. If God says it, it happens. You hear the, air, the part of this prayer, and again, forgive me, we could spend a couple of weeks just dissecting this. I'm not trying to disrespect it by going quickly, but he says the same way things are obeyed in heaven, Lord, have the same way that I'm obeying you here on earth. If God says to one of the angels, hey, that angel, he goes. If God says, hey, Craig, I go, well, what time is it? But I got an appointment. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven in the same manner. He also finally gets to our petition. And here this petition is so lengthy. All this stuff he puts in here, man, the baggage that Jesus gives us an example about what we should be praying for ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread. And take care of the car problem and this and my, you don't understand that co-worker and man, if my aunt calls me one more time, I'm just going to hang up on her. No. Give us this day our daily bread. And he moves right on. Why? Because God already knows what we have need of before we ask him. And in that part of petition, again, I could be here for the next hour, God, I'm not asking for daily bread because you don't know I need daily bread. This is a reminder that my actual survival, the fact that I can function on a daily basis, is only because you're supplying those things that I need. It's still about him. Not, God, three meals today I need from you. Come on. God knows exactly what we need. He says, Lord, whatever it is that I need today to survive, to do your will, to work for you, would you please give me that? I'm not asking for anything else. And he moves on. That's the only petition that Christ lists in here. Now, again, this is not exhaustive. There are other places in the Bible where we learn a little bit more about this. But in this model outline that God gives us of a prayer, we don't see a lot of requests personally going up before God. Because he already knows what they are. 
Right? Keep going. Forgiveness. i got to read this and then remind us of a little bit of truth and then we'll be done. Man, I'm running out of time. Whew. I knew there was a lot of stuff here. but um, Look at 12, 14, and 15. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We know that part of the prayer, but listen to 14 and 15. For if ye forgive man their trespasses, your Father, your Heavenly Father, will also forgive you. But if you forgive not their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, just for those of you who have been here week after week, who is this passage written to? Jews, okay? This is specifically written to the Jewish people. He is giving instruction specifically to a, as a Jewish Messiah to the Jews. Our forgiveness as people on this side of the cross is different. He says, forgive others, and I know we're going to talk about part of this in a moment, but look at a couple of these verses. Christ, oh wait, Christian principle, our attitude toward others can affect our prayer. So he says, listen, if you get the wrong attitude toward others, be careful because your prayer can be hindered. But when it comes to forgiveness, let's look at a couple of verses. Number one, Luke, likewise, ye husbands. Oh, here's the affected prayer part. Husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Give honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. And uh, being heirs together for grace, that your prayers be not hindered. This is one example. You know, if you don't have the proper relationship, husband and wife, your prayers can be hindered. You're reading it with me, right? You want to look that one up yourself to make sure I didn't misquote that? I just copy and paste it, so it's probably pretty good. God's telling us, if you don't have proper relationships in your life, that can mess up your prayer life. Okay? But we as Christians, forgiveness is on a different level. Now let's go to these verses. Christians, forgiveness is based on what Christ did on the cross, not our actions. Ephesians 1 uh, seven, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Colossians, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We don't get our forgiveness based on how we treat others. We get our forgiveness based upon what Jesus Christ did on the cross by his shed blood. Keep going, next verse. Okay, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath quickened, been quickened together with him, having, for, uh, having forgiven you all your trespasses. He said, you used to be an unbeliever. Dead in your sin, but Jesus forgave you of all your trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So this is why we need to understand, when this passage says your forgiveness is based on how you forgive others, this was, Jesus was still on the earth talking. He hadn't been crucified yet. For those of us who put our faith in, uh, in Jesus Christ's blood, he nailed our sins to the cross. They are all forgiven. It is not based on the fact that, well, if I don't forgive Joe, then all my sins won't be forgiven. That is not the teaching for a Christian. That's why it's important to understand Jesus is speaking to the Jews when he's telling us this passage. There's a certain thing here that he's dealing with. Now, does that mean we can run amok and sin as much as we want to and there will be no consequences? No, we talked about that already in, in uh, Matthew where he says, uh, 
your heavenly father okay, uh, will discipline you if you are not being the correct person. There are consequences to bad behavior, but it is not based on this forgiveness. If I don't forgive everyone, then my sins are not forgiven. That is not for somebody who's on this side of the cross. If you have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, he has nailed all of our sins and trespasses and ordinances that were against us to his cross. Every one of them is taken care of. Keep going. So, here's a fun one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Part of the prayer. Now, what is the, what is the basis behind this? Is God going to lead us to do evil things? No, James right here says it. Let no man say when, God, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot, or uh, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither, neither tempt he any man. God doesn't tempt you with evil. So what does that mean? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, what is temptation? Temptation is a trial of our faith, isn't it? You know how uh, <laughs> you're growing up and uh, you've hit that 14, maybe 15-year-old stage in your life and your parents look at each other and say, maybe we both can go out to the store and leave the 14-year-old home by himself. Hey, you know what's going through your mind, right? <laughs> All right, maybe we'll leave for like 15 minutes and then we'll be right back. What are you doing? You're basically saying, I am going to test them to see whether or not they're going to be responsible enough to do the things they're asked to do. God's not tempting us so that we would do evil. God tempts us to see if we're ready. You know how a great way to help God not tempt you? Prove that you're ready. What happens if you leave little junior home, 14 years old, and he messes up? The next time you go out to go with your wife somewhere and you're like, do we leave him home this time? Well, at some point you have to say, all right, let's give it a try. We'll see what happens. We know what happened the last time. We're asking God not to lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're saying, Father, um, please keep me from those temptations that might test me to fall. I would rather walk 100% in your light. Remember 1 John? 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But 1 John 1.7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You know what's great? You don't have to confess all your sins if you walk in the light. Okay, if you're 14 years old and mom and dad have you go watch the house while they're gone, if you do a great job, guess what? Next time you go out, they're not going to go, oh, I wonder. You're proving that you are responsible. God's not going to lead us into evil things. This prayer is, Lord, help me my life to be the kind where I don't have to worry about getting put in the circumstances where I'm going to fall on my face. Does that make sense? Look at, keep going. This, James says it a little bit later in this same passage. Chapter 1, verse 13, we're looking at in James. Next slide. Oh, thanks. Didn't know if you were back there. Yes. So, the principle is the trying of your faith. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse, multiple 
temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Here's the cool part. Let patience have her perfect work. If you let patience have her perfect work, then you may be perfect wanting nothing. So you get tried in your faith to show you have patience. But if you have that patience and you're mature in it, guess what? You don't need to be tempted because you're, you're all set. You see the picture? When I was teaching in the school, there were certain kids that, uh, you know, you're teaching them geometry or algebra or one of those things, and you give pop quizzes to the kids because they love them. There are certain kids I didn't even have to worry about because I knew they got it. And it's not making a judgment call. It's just I know they understand this portion of the curriculum. These couple of kids, those are the ones I want to look at their stuff because I want to make sure they've got it. You with me? And if all the kids come back and they've all got good grades, I'm like, well, good. We can move on to another subject because they've all got it. But if I know some of those kids are still struggling with that concept, probably the next day I'm going to go over it again. This is the idea. Not lead us not into temptation, God, because God wants to put us in evil situations. No, when God understands that patience has worked in us in a great way, we don't have to go through that again. So again, this whole part of lead us not into temptation is deliver us from evil is my response. Lord, I'm trying my best. You don't have to put me through the ringer to make sure I got this. I got it. I'm going to serve you. I don't have to go through the hardship in that area because you've taught me enough and I'm ready. Patience is having its perfect work. I don't have to go through many different tribulations to figure out whether I've got this one locked down. I got it locked down. All right, last little bit. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We started out with glorifying God, recognizing the relationship we're in and putting him in his proper place. We end the prayer doing the same thing. Lord, I'm totally dependent upon you. Thine is the king. It all belongs to you. He's in control. Trust him. Isn't that what we said prayer was all about? Prayer is getting with God to make sure we're fitting in with his plan. So Jesus gives us this framework and says, listen, start out praising God, remembering who he is, what he wants. If you have some things you need to ask him for to help you get through it, that's fine. If you're looking, Lord, I'm I'm trying to adjust my life. Please help me not to stumble in some of these areas so I don't have to keep getting tested on them. I'd like to get a victory. And then he says, but you know what, Lord? You're in control of it all anyway. I trust you. That's the model prayer. We don't necessarily need to pray these words word for word. We need to realize what is the spirit behind the word. Because again, Jesus is dealing with that same subject. People think that if I just can get through the Our Father which art in heaven, thy kingdom all the way through to the very last, I can check that off in the book that says God is pleased with me. Do we really think that what God means after what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks? Or is Jesus trying to say, do you understand what the spirit of this is? Do you understand what I'm trying to educate you to do? Don't just say, give us this day our daily bread, because that takes care of all. He wants you to depend on him 100% for everything you need. 
Hallowed be thy name. He doesn't say, oh, I said that, so I've praised God today. I'm all set. No, he wants our adoration and praise and worship totally. It's not about saying a, a couple of word phrase. It's about adjusting our hearts to reflect who he is in our lives. So again, Jesus is instructing us in this. So my question, I think most, as we've instructed, please, if this has been a history in your life, in your family, in churches you've been to, again, the goal was not to throw them under the bus. It's just to instruct us clearly on what God wants. So the last phrase I'm going to end with, and the thing I want you to focus on for the rest of this day and this week before we get together next time, is that last phrase on the slide that was there. Do you trust him? Because if you're going to do, let me see if I can, I forgot how I wrote that. When you do what you do, do it for God and his glory and not for the glory of men. When we pray, make sure we understand what our prayer life is about. It is us getting in God's presence, reminding ourselves that we're here to do his will because he's in control and we can trust him. Amen. Now, we're going to do something together. On every first Sunday of the month, we do the Lord's Prayer. Oftentimes, this is called...